0: we rolling
1: we are now rolling
0: alberta filmmakers podcast
1: (laughs) me 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 okay there are none there are no rules scott and we're rolling
0: the podcast knows no rules and it knows no limits that's right except it's focused on alberta and filmmakers yeah and and is a podcast
1: and it provides value i hope to the community yeah as we reflect on 2016 i hope we provided value through this podcast
0: I hope so as well. I mean, mm-hmm. we're not making anything out of this except a podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I hope that people learn something yeah, or get to know the filmmakers in their community.
1: Mm-hmm. Agreed, agreed.
0: Um, so the carbon tax. The carbon tax, Matt. You know what? Oh my <laughs> That's God. That's what we talk about here.
1: You know what? Uh, ugh, I hate that. I hate that this is a thing. Like, <laughs> I have lots to say about that, but this is probably not the place. Uh, my point is that you say that we don't make any money on this podcast, right? Which is true, and uh, and uh, you know, different people do different things, and and um, this is something that we do that can be really time consuming, uh, but I, I think is really valuable for the community, um, and I hope it is. Let us know if, if you agree. Um, but uh, the reason we do it, you know, without any sponsor, it costs us money, it costs us time to do. Um, but the reason we do it is because. Oh, man, so many reasons, Mm -hmm. but um, to really provide value. So that's what I, again, hope we're doing. I don't know where that came from. That came out of nowhere. I'm like, (laughs) I have to to share this with the audience. You know who I'm not seeing
0: complain about carbon tax is the the big oil companies who are going to be paying the most. That's true. Have you heard anything about anything from any of those companies?
1: Well, I mean, unless they're the ones providing the misinformation Um, because and, and I think they're behind.
0: I think a lot of them support it. You think so? Yeah. Why? Um, because it's an investment in the province and the future and and green energy. And I think they want to be in those spaces as well. Do they? I hope so. I hope so too. I think like, it's like blockbuster versus Netflix, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's the blockbuster model, which is not diversifying and not, you know, evolve or die. Yeah. Evolve Evolve or die. die.
1: It happens all the time in in all industries, especially right now. And, uh, and, and I don't understand. Yeah. If you're, if they're not thinking about how can we transition to a different kind of energy, I don't know what they're doing
0: anyway with respect with respect <laughs> um so we're back yes it's 2017 yes tomorrow is uh our, our third year anniversary that's of right that's full right. time with full swing so right. we're still alive still going um and we're making this movie called in plain view mm-hmm. so let's just jump to the in plain view corner what do you
1: mean making scott i thought we i thought we were done oh shot it already oh matt is there
0: more there's just, more there's more done. work happen? there's more to do in fact it never stops
1: Indeed, indeed. So, yeah, the
0: movie's in post-production and you're heading out to meet with our editor, Ken Filowich, right after this recording. Today, yeah. Yeah. To do some editing Mm -hmm. um, to get to the next cut, which we're very excited about. And uh, we just got a grant... Uh, to go to the European film Market from Ampia, our friends at Ampia. Congrats Um, to us. Yeah, congrats to us um, and the other four teams that were sponsored for various um, markets and festivals around the world.
1: And thanks to Ampia for making that available. Yeah, for sure, absolutely. So
0: it's this new market export grant. Uh, If you didn't hear about it, uh, then obviously you weren't listening to the podcast news. Mm -hmm. Um, But you should apply for it next time because it's awesome, and uh, it means that uh, I get to go to Berlin in February, Mm -hmm. and I will podcast about my experience there and uh, the innumerable failures and hopefully some successes that i have um trying to sell this movie
1: well you know what and that that's an interesting point to our conversation that's happening in the in the middle of podcast but one of our filmmakers has some really great stories about just this going to markets and and things so there's some value there totally don't mean to derail you no no no
0: absolutely um so let's get into the industry news
1: Let's do it. Uh, what is uh, our first thing? Oh, God. I'll, I'll talk about this. So
0: there's a, there a Herald article, um, 16 rising stars of the film and TV uh, industry in Alberta who made a mark in 2016. Uh, Matt, of course, is one of those filmmakers. Um, and they're all Albertans, so we celebrate every, every one of them. Some of them are, are friends of the show. Um, so congrats to everybody who made that list. There's yeah, especially some Especially awesome Quigley. Especially My, my favorite Alberta. <laughs> <laughs> Truly. <laughs> Truly,
1: like thanks for bringing Game of Thrones here. That is pretty sweet. That. Yeah. yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, in other news, uh, the Salutrian was denied approval by the American Humane Society after investigation into right. bison slaughter. So we talked about this a couple this months is kind ago. Kind of a shitty story. Yeah, and they were sending uh, some investigators to find out if bison that were killed or dead bison that were used in the movie were killed specifically for the purposes of the movie. Right um and the humane society has deemed that yes that did happen so they're not going to put their no animals were harmed stamp on the movie uh and of course john scott a, a great albertan filmmaker and animal wrangler and
1: huge pillar of our community yeah sure. he
0: uh, i think he's pretty devastated about it his, his quote is over 40 years i've been doing this i've never gone to kill an animal on a movie set you wouldn't stay in business as long as i have doing something like that so right that uh you know obviously we try to stay objective in this stuff um it's just kind of an unfortunate piece of news uh, it's too bad, but...
1: Yeah, and unfortunately, it's not the first time uh, this kind of thing has been under scrutiny um, for John Scott. Uh, apparently, the 1999 film, The 13th Warrior, where a horse was destroyed, um, had some gray area to it as well.
0: But, I mean, there's always going to be that, right? Like, you're in... Like, there are... If you're using a dead animal in a movie, there's going to be a lot of scrutiny, and they're, they're... I'm not saying that this is the wrong choice. I'm not saying it's the right choice, but... Uh, it's just it's a it's a tough area, like it's a yeah. tough con, you know, but concept. I think,
1: it's, I think it's a pretty big deal to not get this approval. Get uh, I think it is too. Yeah, I don't know that a lot of films don't get it. Um.
0: I went to the Vancouver Film Festival when I was eighteen, and I saw this. I think it was like a Brazilian film um, about this guy who gets out of prison and he takes this boat down the river, and it's all this is all done in one shot where he's taking his little boat down the river and he sees a goat on the shore and he gets out of his boat and he sneaks up on this goat and he slits its throat, which is a rhyme. It's beautiful, (laughs) but he does. And it's all in one shot. So, and it was obviously real, Mm -hmm. obviously real. Um, And it, it, I still, I still am disturbed by that whole thing. Like it was like pretty shitty thing to do just for a movie. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And of course, as a vegetarian, I have other issues with that, but the point is, um, yeah, this, this kind of stuff is, is shocking when it happens. And uh, yeah, so yeah I mean, it's, I, it's too bad anyway I, I,
1: I think i we should say uh, we don't know the truth of, of what happened here but obviously not getting it um my understanding is that that some pretty messed up things can happen with animals and you can still get that american humane yeah. society um like I, i've heard there i read an article about um life of pie that the tiger they used on that was like Really close to death a few times, right? Um, and, and they still got and it. And they still got yeah. it. Yeah. So, so yeah. I mean, I, 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 hope it's not true. I guess. Yeah. Is the <laughs> that's that's a f- that's a fair yeah yeah.
0: Um. So we we chatted with uh, Sandy Summers and Jillian McCurcher um a while yeah. ago about yeah about uh, the Herland workshop mm-hmm. um and we wanted to get more into the discussion of women in film um which is an important discussion that that uh, maybe we shouldn't be the ones having. Hmm. So, but it's nice to facilitate. Yes, it is nice to facilitate. So, what happened?
1: Uh, well, so the, this conversation obviously happened at Calgary International Film Festival. Um, and I guess this is our third uh, and final uh, of these series that um, the festival is kind enough to invite us to be involved with. And, um, Christy Garland and Sandy Summers uh, spoke about uh, their experiences as, as female filmmakers. Um, some really interesting, uh, I hadn't heard of or, or known Christy Garland before, and and um, she shared some really cool stuff, like I said, about markets mm-hmm. and um, getting financing and documentary filmmaking. Um, and it's, it's a very valuable conversation, I think you'll enjoy it.
2: Well, why don't you start by telling us a bit about Cheer Up? Okay, Uh, Cheer Up is a documentary feature that I shot in Finland, in the Arctic Circle, up in, it's in conversation, I'm going to face you too, I think. (laughs) It's about a a team of cheerleaders, the plot is about a team of cheerleaders, the worst cheerleading team in Finland, which therefore sort of means the world, because they're not really um, the most effusive culture in the world. Um, and it follows. It actually follows the personal stories of three: the coach and two of the cheerleaders. And it's more of um, it's more of a coming of age story, um, a story about loneliness and depression, and um, you know, family and and all these sort of life issues, serious life issues, in the packaging of a film about a cheerleading team. And um, and I guess it's a you know a meditation on success and failure. And it follows the. I mean, that it they're the worst. Team and they, place, they always place last at the national competition so the coach who's obsessed with American culture decides that she's gonna go to Texas to visit the world's best team and learn from the Americans and then she tries to bring that kind of lesson home to Finland and it doesn't quite work <laughs> so that's sort of how the story starts
3: nice and what's your most recent project my most recent project, well it would be her land. I would say that it's the mentorship program that is just um, coming to an end right now. And I just um, opened a show called Making Treaty Seven and I did all the the visuals and the movie aspect of it and the lighting design for that.
2: What kind yeah. of pro- program was that uh, project was it was theater? Yeah, it was a
3: theater theatre project um, that it's a project that's been going on for about five years mm-hmm. and each year there's a, a kind of a new rendition and it continues to, to grow and it's been workshop for many many times so right now we're almost at a final state okay. yeah and so it's it's about the re-education and the redistribution of uh, inf- information about the treaty seven and the signing of it but from the perspective and from uh, the First Nations community. Mm-hmm. Really, which is an important
2: subject that people are talking about now more and more. I think yeah. recently. So, so yeah, it's absolutely. It's like very timely. It's, it's very timely. Yeah. Did you just say that that's about to tour, or you're going somewhere with that? Oh, I think you're psychic. Oh, okay. Okay. Pick you up so much
3: better. Okay. I think you're psychic. Yeah. This it will eventually be going on tour. So next year, which is a an anniversary of the signing of the treaty, it'll mm-hmm. go on tour. Okay. To Ontario and stuff. Great. Yeah.
4: So what have your, been your biggest challenges in, in this latest project that you've been working on? Let's start
2: there. That's helpful. That narrows it down. Well, this one, um, I always, and this one was a film, it's in Finnish, and I don't speak Finnish. So that's sort of a challenge right <laughs> off the top there. Um, it's challenging. It's a challenging film to make because it was sort of an impossible film to describe without people getting the wrong idea, especially as I was pitching it. Because the whole idea was to play on the idea of a cheerleader being this sort of sex object or being a very superficial thing and to try and actually tell more complicated stories about complexities of these young women's lives underneath it. And so and people couldn't really see it. Uh, They couldn't really see the film plus. I don't shoot films with interviews or voiceovers I mean, I I did I do shoot them sort of as a way of getting to know the characters sometimes and Sort of as something, you know as a backup But what I do is I take a long time to make my films, but I shoot, you know unfolding stories And we had three characters so it took a very very long time and and which is sort of the way it goes with documentaries Anyway, because you're financing them as you're making them and this was a Finnish Canadian co-production and so um, it was a bit challenging because I kind of kept, we kept running into this problem where people were saying, you know, okay, well, it's a documentary, but a, a sort of superficial American sport. And frankly, when you're, when you're pitching films and it's like you're, you're coming after the guy who's pitching the film about the Indonesian genocide or you know serious films it doesn't sound like you know a meaningful film but this was a film about young women so but it got easier as we as we went along and as i was shooting material and the stories were starting to come together the theme started to coalesce and we started sort of getting an idea of how now we were going to tell uh, a story about how we all feel pressured to succeed and we do in personal inventory and decide whether or not we're successful or not and um how people define happiness and how you define whether or not you've lived a meaningful life in a culture that for people of all ages now, but especially young people where there's this whole you know talent contest and this pressure to succeed and to be in control of your image and just so much pressure mm-hmm. to be something and to sell yourself and all these things. And I just wanted to take a film, make a film about young women that slowed everything right down mm-hmm. and then was extremely quiet and went into these very quiet, moments in their lives where they're dealing with serious issues and you know play with that contrast with the world of the fact that they're um you know it's kind of entertaining that they're a team of cheerleaders so that that was the challenge i think was just trying to stick to what i was after despite the fact that it was an easy sell and it wasn't um it was a you know it, it was a film that i hadn't seen before and and when and i'm always try to make films that way but it's not that easy to finance them sometimes for that reason because people haven't seen it before so funders not being massive risk takers it takes a little bit of mm. persistence of course but that's sort of the way it is with yeah. everything right
3: yeah that's quite yeah. a point funders not taking risks yeah.
2: yeah and i think we should more in canada i really think we should i think that's mm-hmm. something in theater and film um, that uh, we're a little bit further behind I think maybe <laughs> than with the like the music industry where there is a little a lot more healthy I think in Canada but film we're still sort of living in the shadow of the United States and um, well you know you just have to make an American feature but for way less money but it has to perform so much <laughs> at the box office and and I think the, the more idiosyncratic and the thing that could be Canada's voice as, as a filmmaking culture 't it gets sort of ignored and I think young filmmakers who should be getting financing and I, I sorry I keep defaulting to filmmakers but artists as well um, we have to just throw away that whole old model that's been going on since the 90s because in the 80s we had like there was a cat the, there was this weird period of time and in, in the 80s I think um, Alex you probably know more about this than I do but it's uh, where there was huge tax breaks and it was sort of like wide open. So that's where David Cronenberg came from. So he just like had a lot of, like there was money thrown at filmmakers to to pursue their visions. And so they started out sort of making their first vision and being auteurs, but we don't have so many of those in English Canada now anymore. Quebec is a completely different matter, as we all know, because that's a very different funding system there. Um, But in uh, the rest of Canada, I'm just comparing it with Finland and Denmark, where I do a lot of co-productions, I'm noticing a lot of really interesting differences. And we have just as much money, but there's just a very, something um, strange going on in Canada.
3: Well, I think that's where- Not her- to leave with a complaint, but- <laughs> Well, let me pick up on that complaint. <laughs> no, I think that that's a, it's a really important point. And also um, one of the reasons why I think Herland is so important mm-hmm. It's because um, it, it's hard to make a film, regardless of your gender, regardless of anything, it's difficult to make a film nowadays, especially here in Canada. And it's even more difficult for women to make film. If you were to look at the stats over the years, um, they're not get, it's not getting better. And actually, in my opinion, in terms of how much more access there is for everyone to make films, the the percentage of actually women um, directing, I'm gonna it's f- specifically directing or DP, um, are, are are quite low. Um, I did Herland the workshops when the festival was here. I'm not sure if everyone remembers the Herland Film Festival is one of the longest women film festivals, mm-hmm. ever. And when it ceased to exist, then um, the workshop ceased to exist. And I let it go for a few years, um, and then people started coming back and saying, bring that back. We, we still need we women aren't, there there are not enough women's voices out there. there are not enough women directors. And uh, you know, when I went back and looked at the stats of really where women were in Canada, um, it was horrible. It was really horrible. And so bringing it back, um, I changed the structure of it because I felt the first one was really quick. It was an intensive and it was intense. And, when, and so, what does it
2: do? It takes a, like a, a group of young and puts them through a specific workshop, or is it sort of like a co-op?
3: Or? It's a it's a, a specific workshop. Okay. So I'll just so the one that we have right now um, is a five month workshop for women um, over the age of nineteen, and the workshop will go through screenwriting. So the mentorship program, you had to send in a script. And then work with story editor over the period of time. Then you would um, meet with a director, and the director would would instead of uh, it would talk to you about maybe some of some of the things that um, whatever you, it is you want to talk about. So it's a, a female director who is working in the industry. Um, and as well as a technical workshop but not learning how to work camera but learning more about um, cinematography telling storytelling through cinematography or how are the other aspects how do all these aspects need to come together in order for you to fulfill your vision Um, and so that's over a period of time and then you have five months to make your film while you're having one-on-one mentorship for whatever aspect it is you need. And one of the reasons why I thought this was important was I just noticed a lot of women after about three films. It, it decreased. And and I wanted to know, wh- why are women stopping the process of filmmaking when they get to around three to five? And we all know as filmmakers. Are
2: you mean features? Yeah. Or and shorts no, or I mean shorts,
3: anything. anything else, right. I'm just finding that, that the that there's a commonality at around that point. So I started talking to women who started making films with me, but who currently weren't and they had stopped. And and so from that, I just thought, well, we need more voices. We need to change the fabric of what we see all the time. And I feel that when, when the fabric of what we're watching is really refined to one specific type of film, then we, we really do you mentioned this early, we do Canada an injustice for the amount of artists and voices that exist in this country. And so her Herland has two programs. One is an emerging. So women who are just emerging and wanting to learn, they actually do get specific skills and they make their own film. And the mentorship program is the same thing. They get to make their own film. And that's uh, considered more of a mid-career uh, filmmaker. That sounds great. It's awesome. You know what I do? Whenever, whenever I, I, I love doing workshops and I, I, I love um, working with people to, to help develop their skills and their confidence, whatever it is they need. And that's really important to me. And where they come from is when I was growing up as a filmmaker and I'm like, oh man, what would have been good for me to have? What, what, what would have helped me maybe speed my process up a decade or two and what would have helped me? when there was no, um, no, I grew up in Cape Breton. Okay. I don't even know if I knew another filmmaker or knew even either, either even how to access that work. Right. And then coming here and getting involved with some of the media centers here um, and just wanting to connect with women, wanting there to be. Uh, not being that many, yeah, there weren't that many. I remember I watched,
2: um, well, what inspired you to become a female, uh, filmmaker? Cape
3: Breton, um, I'm just curious. Well, I'll tell you, I, well, I have a background in theater, which is why I was talking about that I was, I, I'm doing a theater production, but I'm doing all the media, um, the projection part of it. And uh, I wasn't until I moved here, because growing up in Cape Breton, I, I had no idea I could become that. That wasn't even a thought. It wasn't until I moved out here, I, got, I went to Dow, studied theater, came out here, and then I started meeting people in film and how I accessed film was someone came to me and saw some of the work I was doing with a local company called One Yellow Rabbit. And they said, will you come with me and let's make a music video. I have a 35 millimeter camera, but I don't know what to do with it. I don't know what to do with it. So the two of us trying to load a 35 mil mag, never having (laughs) set foot anywhere, just two of us. And that was Jeff Weinrich, who does a lot of um, Jan Arden's videos. And so the two of us were literally like looking at books and going like, and we did it though. And that's kind of what prompted it. And then I kept getting invited on sets as either DP or as um, doing lighting and stuff. And then it kind of grew from there. Okay. Okay. Wow, that's really
4: impressive that you like, just like taught yourself film, like real film, not like today's like, okay, well, if I switch this, I can have a video.
3: No, That's I taught. Myself. To Listen, to I make was. make it look like Kodachrome. <laughs> I was so hardcore and switch into video. I I held out. I totally held out. I'm like, what is this nonlinear thing you talk of? <laughs> what part of my brain is that coming from? I'm really grateful
2: I got to shoot film on film actually and edit S- on a film
3: sure, um, right? on a Steenbeck.
2: I made my first couple of shorts that way, and it was. It's a very, very different. There's a, there's pluses and minuses. I think of, but Walter Murch said this really interesting thing, that's quite true. He said it in this book called The Blink of the Eye. Mm. And, and when you go through and you take your footage, your rushes, you know, in, off the bin and run it through a steam deck, you're con- constantly forced to kind of fast forward and rewind through all your different scenes, and you you notice things. You go, oh, I forgot about that thing. But when it's buried and its digital then it's only a matter of like what you choose to look at that sort of forces you to go through those things. And that's uh, one thing I kind of miss about it, but that was a long time ago. And there's obviously a ton of benefits <laughs> to, to having it all be digital right now. But
4: uh. So is there any habit that you've kept from doing that, that you're like, okay, from this medium, I'm, and we're doing the same media, like different media?
2: I do try to sort of revisit, it's dangerous, especially if you've been pushing through different cuts and you finally like let, Things go. You've killed your darlings, and you're finally at a cut. Like I have this horrible habit of wanting to go back and look through the footage again just to make <laughs> sure I haven't mm-hmm. I haven't left something that I you know really adored. But more often than not, it's as I've grown with each film, I've sort of realized that um, you know I, you kind of have to leave those things behind, and you have to part <laughs> part with things that you love, even uh, even though you you know wish. I mean, I still have a scene that I wish I could put in the last film that I did. I really still mad at myself that I let it go. But whatever that happens. But it back back to the whole idea of women filmmakers. Um, I remember seeing a film by Patricia Rozema on television mm. when I was in high school. I saw the her, I, I've heard Herb the mermaid, mermaid singing. singing, and I remember that thinking, "Oh wow, a woman directed that." I had never even it had never even really occurred to me that women directed films. It was just so yeah. you, know, you just never thought about it. And that's when I first got the idea that maybe I wanted to um, make films, or that maybe I could make films. I loved films because my mother had this habit of keeping me up like on school nights when I was elementary school like to watch the 9 o'clock movie with her so I never went to bed until like 11.30 I was always (laughs) falling asleep in class and so yeah so it's a good, good bad mother in many ways but a good mother when it comes to filmmaking so you know boy in the plastic bubble girl on the other side or the other side of the mountain you know those movie yeah. movie of the week so anyways we used to watch those and so i knew i kind of wanted to be a filmmaker i knew i wanted to do that but i just never never occurred to me that i could i had a crazy lack of entitlement and i could never be a, you know i never had any there were no artists in in my immediate family so then when I saw that film on television when I was in high school, I thought, oh, maybe, wow, okay. Uh, and I took a, um, I was, I, was I, I bought, my dad bought me a Pentax camera. Um, when I mentioned I was interested in photography around that time, I took a bunch of really bad photographs and I applied to Ryerson and was on the waiting list. And then I got in. And once mm. I was there, I started to really discover Um, discover more about why I wanted to make films, what my voice was. And um, I saw another film called Calling the Shots by Janice Cole and Holly Dale, who are two uh, Canadian documentary filmmakers. Well, now they 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 direct television and all kinds of things. But they made this sort of really, for me, it was a very seminal film because it was... um, about women filmmakers all over the world. Margareta Von Trotta, Agnes Varda, they, had in, they interviewed sort of everybody. Um, and Dee, Dee Allen, I think, who's you know one of my heroes, she's a film editor, she cut uh, Bonnie and Clyde, and she's sort of one of those Thalma Schoenmacher, like all of these masterful uh, women, but usually in the edit room. And so I, when I got out of school, or I was in third year or whatever, I, I went to um, their office and knocked on the door and told them that I wanted to intern for them and just like yeah. whatever, push the broom around or do whatever they needed to do, and that's sort of where I got a sense of like what a working documentary film. And I didn't know at the time that I wanted to make documentary films. I thought I wanted to make uh, fiction films, and I went on to make a few fiction shorts. But that was an, a really nice opportunity hmm. as well, and they were great mentors. And I think that's kind of key. Um, it's and you know I, this sounds like a really negative story, but or negative. But I think the problem when there's people are struggling to get financing and uh, everyone's just working hard fighting their own battles and you fight a lot of battles when you're trying to make a film and so it's very hard to, and it gets competitive anywhere, it doesn't matter how much funding it is, it's very, it's healthy in many ways to be competitive with other filmmakers and but I think that you know, women were fighting a little bit harder. So I always found like that even my own reactions to other people's films. Like if another female filmmaker did well, you felt a little bit jealous, or you felt a bit like resentful. And I think that's kind of natural. But what I've really started to realize is that it's much much better when women filmmakers mentor other filmmakers, and also see other you know see the rest of the films that are being made in your community and really you know it's obvious for a lot of people certainly in the theater community i think maybe they're much more supportive Mm. but i think it's very easy in film to get closed off because you're making your thing and you sort of tunnel vision and um you don't realize how important it is to kind of go and see especially other women's films but everybody's films and and talk to them about it and you know make sure you notice what they're trying to do because i think the art form gets really stunted and paralyzed when you don't work together to kind of raise the bar and I've been comparing it a lot with uh, Denmark because I've been working in Denmark which is a very very different country in terms of financing and in terms of uh, filmmaking and gender like there's so many uh, female producers and directors dozens like whatever the whole town is filled with them and loads and they're very very um, good at sponsoring or, or there's a lot of state funding. And early so you get they have new Danish screen and they have basically if you graduate from the National Film School You're working right away mm-hmm. right away like you almost always they don't mind you It's hard to get into the Danish film school. They only accept six directors every two years So it's very competitive But still the whole community is sort of filled with people that all see each other's work They all consult on each other's films. They're all very involved. Sometimes there are editors who work as directors and um And I'm sure there's a healthy amount of competition there, but what I've noticed when I'm there is that they all seem to know each other and see each other's films, and there's a very, very tight-knit community there that I sometimes wish we had in Canada, and it can be tough here because it's such a big country. I mean, Copenhagen, you can fit on the head of a pin, and Canada's much bigger, and we're all spread out, and it's a little bit more tricky to see each other's films, but that's one thing I've started doing in the last few years is just trying to watch as many Canadian films and as many films by other female directors as I possibly can and then talk to them about it because then you really start to understand what you're all trying to do and what each person's actually trying to do, what challenges they face with making that story and you can learn from each other and obviously it gets better if you sort of lift each other up. It's a new thing that sort of, and I agree with it, it's sort of this, you know, it's a bit of a meme nowadays but I kind of agree with it because to be honest with you when I was growing up and starting I did feel like... We can be our we, for a while. I felt like I didn't feel that support, and I wasn't giving that support to other. I was that competition level was very petty, but it's pretty um, dysfunctional. So, anyways, I've been trying to address that sort of <laughs> of con- confession. <laughs> do you know what I mean? That it, how that happens sometimes. Yes. I think it's just a in some cases it can be healthy, but
3: yeah, I think for me it's always been kind of important. I, I agree. Everyone try and lift each other oh. up, and I feel that the more women that are making films, um, and the more people who who aren't the typical films, just making films, I think that helps lift all of us up. And that's something I've always believed in and I've always kind of worked towards. Hmm. Yeah. You can also ask questions. Yeah, I was just gonna say, does
4: anybody have any questions right now? Anna. Um, Anna's question was about "Cheer Up" getting into Hot Docs and what your experience was at Hot Docs or other film Mark. markets.
2: Hot Docs is a wonderful festival. Um, my the la- the last film, I think Alex Rogalski is here, and he's the programmer. Oh, we, program. <laughs> <laughs> he always seems to have a head cold. I don't know what that's about, but anyways, um, no, he pro- no he was he's a wonderful programmer at Hot Docs, and he programmed my last film, and then he also programmed "Cheer Up." and uh i think hot dogs is a wonderful festival it was a great place to, to premiere the film uh because the audience for uh, hot dogs is wonderful sort of what you kind of dream about as a as a filmmaker so my experience there has been has been quite good um but i mean bastard was a different uh you may want to leave now alex but bastard was wonderful. it was great that it got programmed but it was a difficult film And it was sort of one of my early experiences with uh, festivals. Um, I mean, it's a film I really believed in, but it was a difficult subject matter. It was heavy, it was very dark, and it was very kind of a sad film. And so what I... My experience with Hot Dogs at that point was that it's sort of... You learn about how to... um, You have to to help the festival publicize your own film. And I just sort of thought, you know what, it's in the festival, everyone's going to come to the screening and, and, and... and it wasn't the best turnout. I think it had to have been like one not a really great turnout. I mean, I believed in the film. I delivered it late to the festival, which is part of the problem. But the, because the turnout wasn't that great, I really took that lesson uh, to the next few festivals that it went to, in terms of trying to get, you have to help publicize it. And, and, and that can be tricky. So good reviews help um, that way. Uh, but that was the one lesson I learned. And this year it was a lot better. This year we had a publicist, and that was I, we had help from the Finnish Film Foundation. And this year we sort of had sold it; we had sold out screenings for every screening, so it got better. Um, but it's a, I think it's a, it's a wonderful festival. It's really, it's a, it's a great market. You mentioned the word market, and that that hot dogs has sort of been very important to me for that reason as well because it's how I got The Bastard made, was sort of this chance meeting. Um, And it was my sort of, I'd made a feature documentary before called Doormat that I shot in India. Um, But The Bastard Sings the Sweetest Song was uh, another film I was making that was another impossible one to pitch. And it was there that I accidentally ran and met somebody from the Danish Film Institute. And um, he was late, like I had submitted a request for meetings in this thing called Rendezvous where, you know, if you want to meet with these commissioning editors and you can pitch them, and either nobody took my meetings or they lost my list or whatever. So I was that person at the festival who had a trailer and was trying to finance a film with no clue who knew no one. who's sort of standing in the corner and just, it's, it's mortifying. Because you don't have a way, no, you don't have any way to talk to anybody, and plus you don't understand how to pitch anything. Um, but then suddenly there was this email that there was a, the uh, consultant from the Danish Film Institute was there. And I mean, I'm a huge Lars von Trier fan, and uh, and, I, well, and I love all Danish films, actually. And I thought, well, that's, you know, they said he's here late, so he has no meetings. So if you if you want to meet with the DFI consultant, go to the sales desk. So I ran to the sales desk. I thought, I can, if I can get one meeting, then I'll feel like it's worth the 300 bucks or whatever I spent on the pass. And I got the meeting with him. And what happened with that never happens since. It's never happened to me since. But he watched the trailer and he said, I love this film. It's an incredible film about addiction and family and bondage and love and all these. I'll tell you what the film's about in a second. And he said, I'll definitely give you, I can definitely guarantee uh, the Danish Institute to give you production financing, but you have to come to Copenhagen and you have to find a producer because this isn't how it's done. You have to get a, usually producers apply with co-productions, and then they're very hard to finance through the DFI. Um, but you have to find a producer who will apply, and usually they're waiting for a yes or no. In my case, I had a green light from the DFI, so it wasn't hard finding a producer in Copenhagen who would take the project on. Um, so Hot Docs, for me, has been hugely important because that cha- completely changed my life. Changed my whole life, it changed the way I make films, and it introduced me to, um, like the story consultant on that film I met, through a workshop that I was doing. I did a, another workshop with that rough cut of that film, and it was Molly Stensgaard, and she's Lars von Schreer's editor. She's cut Breaking the Waves and um, Dancer in the Dark and Nymphomaniac and Melancholia, and she's doing the one now. And so she's been the senior editor on all my films since. And she's wonderful. Like She's, she's a good friend now, and she knows me really, really well. So it's sort of like, in terms of mentorship and learning from filmmakers, she's been um, my role model, and, and uh, I met her only because of that crazy thing that happened at Hot Dogs. So that's another reason why I would recommend it. Um, and any industry, if you're a filmmaker, any industry part of every film festival that you can kind of go to, including Calgary, is just so important to get practice learning how to talk about your projects, and um, meet other filmmakers, and try to attend events where there are international filmmakers, because I think more and more now, um people are trying to finance their work with co-productions each country is struggling to kind of well not the nordic countries they're doing okay but in germany and france but everywhere else people are doing co-productions because you need to but there's another great thing about those things is that you get this artistic cross-pollination where the way they make films in denmark has really influenced me completely influenced me and now finland and um hopefully i've spread a little something in their direction as well but you know I, I've learned a lot it's been my master's film school because I mean Ryerson was great but you know I it wasn't I didn't get any I got a lot of experience learning how the technical of how to shoot films and I also had the experience of having to make stuff and show it to my fellow students and the great professors but what I didn't get at Ryerson uh, which I don't know how strong the tradition is for this you can tell me if you've been to film schools in Canada but the dramaturgical um, study I mean, this is what is extremely important, for instance, in Denmark, is they don't care what you're shooting on. You can shoot it on your phone. How you tell a good story, how you leave out what's not necessary, and how rigorous and difficult that can be is something that I um, I, I, I think that's what I've learned the most, I think, from Denmark is just how, when you're looking at material, whether it's documentary material or whether it's fiction material that you've shot, um, the first time you see it as a director or if you've given yourself some distance or if you're an editor, when you're watching it, if you really feel it. And they kind of have this sort of way of looking at material when they've shot is it, like, do you feel it or not? Because it's very easy to your head and what your intentions were and what you think you're making to project that on the footage that you've shot. Or for me, if it's documentary, it's like just all the horror stories of what I was going through at the time and who I was fighting with or whatever the hell was going on in my private life and I load it. What I've learned since then is just how to um, how to let the, listen to your footage and really listen to what how it makes you feel and if you if it can stir anything and then once you've figured out what that emotion is then you can block and figure out where it belongs in the story that you're trying to tell. I've kind of wandered off topic a little bit, but that's
4: <laughs> Anna. Just for the recording' sake, said she enjoyed it all. Okay, good. It's on the record now. <laughs> Um any other questions out there? Yep, just behind you, Anna. Um you kind of just touched on it in our last answers. <laughs> I know. But uh what advice would
2: you give in terms of finding other sources of funding beyond using like the typical places in New Canada that you know we apply for? Like I wouldn't even know where to start. I guess it depends on the film. I think mean, you start with whatever kind of film it is. Um but I, I do think it's useful to travel and try and try and, I mean, co-productions and, and you, you're a fiction filmmaker, aren't you? Co-productions of fiction are a little bit trickier, but it's still worth trying, I think. Um, and also, you know, just meeting, sometimes you can finance things in sort of arts councils with other, like if you collaborate with uh, a producer or uh, somebody in another country and you're making a little bit of co-production, but on a smaller scale, you can start that way. Um, because usually co productions, I think, in fiction features are in the millions of dollars, or usually they're a higher, slightly higher budget. But if you're starting out, I don't think it hurts to start establishing a track record of working and trying to raise money in sort of creative sources. I mean, we were talking earlier about the crowdfunding thing. I have never done it. Um, mostly because it really started to get popular with the cheerleading film, and I couldn't put, I couldn't, not, not you know, I've, I've given money to, like, a, whatever, 20 bucks here and there to other films, but they're about, topics like my film's about first world problems and I just couldn't shake down my friends for money about a first world plus I had finished film foundation funding so it was just not what you do but I think that's also getting a bit tired um the crowdfunding thing I'm no expert on it but I think you can only do it so many times so I haven't really given you a very helpful answer except that I mean okay one thing I've done and that's been good for my path was that I started in Canada by taking advantage of the Canada Arts Council and the Toronto Arts Council and the Ontario Arts Council. We're very, very lucky to have that in Canada, and and they're very, very supportive. The first short I made was a $15,000 explorations grant from the Canada Council. But what that meant is I could make my crazy whatever I had in my head kind of film and completely have creative control and try to make and have my failures and make my embarrassing mistakes and, and learn a little bit and have some successes along the way, but completely based on trying to figure out why I'm making the films and making them sort of according to my own voice. Um, I, so I think that's a good place to start. Um, can you Maybe, because you, you, you know?
4: Story Hive, like tell us some kind yeah, of- no,
3: there's, there's definitely Story Hive. Um, Story Hive this year, Uh, This this go-around is dedicated 100% to women filmmakers. Yeah, which is great. Definitely, um, Alberta Foundation for the Arts Canada Council. Um, If you look into Bravo, um, there's Bravo Fact and Bravo Factual and they give a fair amount of money towards um, dramas as well as um, documentary. Um, And actually, TELUS Optic Local they have a fair amount of money that also goes towards um shooting either well many things actually um my next feature is my feature is supported by telesoptic so it can go wow. from short to long web series documentary even if you have like a wonderful idea for a 12 minute piece about someone who is doing something um you can apply for money
2: what is te- so what is Telus Optic? Is it like Bell New Media, or is it is
3: it? It's a filmmaking fund. It's a filmmaking fund, and they fund a wide variety of things. Okay. Yeah. Wow,
4: that's great. And, yeah. it, and is Telus Optic? Are they releasing it through that channel on TV? Does yep. it have to be released through that channel?
3: Yeah. Like uh, uh, Telus Optic is um, is a funder of the emerging um, Herland Workshop. And all the women have freedom to kind of show their film wherever. But there is an aspect of that it, it also goes on to the Telus channel, and the same. So all of the stuff um, does have to kind of screen there. But you have ownership of your work.
2: Do they fund it entirely, or do you combine it with other financing? You
3: can totally combine it with other financing, or you, you know, if you're, um, if you can do it, it's a it's a healthy amount if you're going to do something smaller. So like $75, it's like $75,000 or something like that.
2: Is it based in Alberta
3: only? It's, um, well, tell us Optic Local. So um, it's in Alberta and BC. If it's in other places, I don't know because I don't access it. Okay. Yeah. But
4: I imagine they have something similar. For I imagine
3: it. that it's, it's across tell the, us, yeah. yeah mm-hmm. um, so that's. You know, and there's also National Film Board. They have filmmaker, uh, they have the Fat program. So if you've made less than three films, you can access that for finishing funds. Um, yeah, there's, there's a fair amount of places. I think what's really important in terms of producing is to be as creative with how you access and where you go. I know that often when I'm told you can't get money from them, I'll go and still get money from them. Because if you have an idea and you want to get it done, then that's an aspect of what you do is you just continue looking for money and you um, find ways to, to um, make those connections. It's, I think that's a really important aspect because especially if you're starting off as a filmmaker, you just need to make films. I, I've made over 75, 80 films and I can say I still learn something on all of them. And I'd like to challenge myself on all of them so that I don't get stagnant, so that I just keep learning. And I find that a very fun aspect. So back in the old day when I first started, it was, um, you know, I was doing projects that I f- didn't even know I shouldn't be looking for funding for. Or the people I did go right. through and uh, I. So when the, my, my first series of films that I, I got a Canada Council grant for um, it was an explorations also, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it was dealing with um, lesbian erotica, and I wanted to figure out. I wanted to to, to kind of act to do that. And It was um, everyone kept saying, "You're not going to get money for that. Where are you going to get money for like stuff like that?" And I just didn't know. I went to the National Film Board Canada Council. Was and, it a documentary series? No, okay. it wasn't documentary. It was um, short films on lesbian fantasy. Okay. We created a little... Um, what was it called? Phantasmagoria, okay. sexing Lesbian Imaginary. But we called her a little collective, I know. I know, okay, I know. But we, I invited um, women from all across Canada. They, A lot of women um, applied, and we picked like five women from across Canada, and we called ourselves Lock Up Your Daughters. <laughs>
2: that sounds like a great project they're actually is they're making a film like that now in denmark so you're probably way ahead of way ahead
3: of you, so. it was yeah. it was actually great it, you know what it, re- it really got me motivated in making film it was through a time of um identity politics mm-hmm. and it was a lot of time where where um there was there was a film um, by monica trout out and every time i tried to rent it it was gone and so yeah. just trying to find a, a film with like healthy lesbians in it yeah, yeah. What, what wasn't out there. And so when I kept kind of, when I saw there was nothing out there, I thought, well, that's an awesome subject to do. And so we we, um, we created five films and it toured everywhere. And it, it had um, an opening here that we had to get police protection from because we, there were bomb scares and life death threats. And it was kind of hardcore, it was kind of hardcore. But then at the same time, I was getting phone calls from Boston and LA, can well, you come? Exactly. And I'm like, I can, I can I can come. So it, it, it actually is as, as difficult as it was to kind of do work like that, which at the time was not looked upon as, um, well, it was just looked upon as really ruining community um, the community
2: <laughs> at yeah, large. Family values.
3: It was family <laughs> values was just being challenged all the time and you know we got a lot of press and the press was saying things like do you know where our money's going you know why should we give money to you? It's was like well we pay taxes if you relieve me from paying taxes I'll totally be fine with that too. There's the, but it was just that it was the community standard it was just and the government got involved it was a a big fight, but it's a good skin toughener in a way. It sounds like,
2: and it's a good lesson about making what you want to see but don't see. It's it it it,
3: it really was really
2: really kind of important thing to carry around in your heart and your
3: Totally, and, and and the the thickening skin one, I think that's a really interesting one because one of the things that we went through in doing this project was it was about um, no sense censor, censorship. Right. Right, so are we censoring ourselves before we allow the public to censor us? Right, yeah. And it was a process in us understanding what do we do if we don't have the veil of censorship over us, what can we create? And we would get, we would get um, a lot of interviews of people saying, why isn't this porn? Say, "Oh, maybe it is, I don't know. You, know. you know, you can talk to each of us, maybe we do erotica, maybe it's porn, but it's not porn that you know, you're gonna pay for to see. It, it's a really, it, it, it really. It sounds um, like it raised a lot of discussion, which is so important. It raised a lot of discussion. And that's, it was really important because at that point, you know, lesbians weren't even important enough to they, they, To really even be condemned for anything because there was just no importance to that.
2: Yeah, there, there was no, there wasn't, weren't that many films that you were seeing. Very no. few um, films that you were seeing in the mainstream anyway.
3: Yeah. yeah, not at all. And, and if, if we were, they definitely didn't depict um, a true lesbian life. Right. And so that was something we wanted to do, something that was really not at the surface was, was lesbian fantasy and what that actually was. And so the process of the five of us going through really doing, that was one of the rules. It wasn't to be political. It was to be honest to yourself as to what a sexual fantasy is. That was in itself really interesting because not everyone could get there because it was very challenging. And so what what came out of it was five pieces that were really true to the creators of those pieces and wherever they were in their sexuality at that time. And it it, it, it was a lovely piece. It was a really lovely, and I do feel that because of what I went through for that project, the thick skin project, and the project about when people say no to you and you still want to do something, that I found money for something that people completely said I shouldn't do. And I think naivety has a lot to do with that too. Like I think be, being naive yeah, and just
2: and just not knowing that you shouldn't be that this exactly what you're doing is crazy is sort of important. My
3: very first film, the one before that, I it was a skateboarding film, BMX bike riding. It was all this like post-apocalyptic. And I put up a sign on 8th Avenue Mall down here. Need skateboarders need it. There was like 100 skateboarders showed up.
2: <laughs>
3: oh, sounds like fun subject matter
2: too. Yeah. It, was, <laughs> it was really
3: fun. It was but it's, it, that's, that's also an aspect practice. of naivety, right? It's mm-hmm. like, I just need you. Come. And then they all come and it's like, uh-oh. Okay. I need something else. Maybe. Um,
2: you know, you raised you talk about her land. It's actually another uh, another piece of advice that I would give is look for workshops in canada or in the states look specifically at filmmaking workshops and especially internationally that's actually been pretty key for me in terms of meeting other filmmakers and other because the thing about um the bastard sings the sweetest song got into a workshop uh in amsterdam called the banger film lab and it was the one and only year they did uh, documentary features but they also mm. do um, uh, fiction now they just concentrate on fiction and it's still up so if you have a fiction feature always try to apply to that because what happened is that the, the advisors there were some of the best filmmakers most accomplished filmmakers in Europe so they're and they come from everywhere Germany Denmark Scandinavia so they're there to help you but then they become they become friends in a way like Molly was there it was coincidence that I had Danish financing on a film that then got into the, one of the, you know, would help get the film into the Binger Doc Lab. But once I was there, all of these fantastic picture editors who had done these sort of Academy Award nominated films and films that have been in can and, and whatever, suddenly you're learning from the very best and they're helping you um, make tough decisions with your work and they're kind of teaching you. And that, so it's not only good for your craft. And learning it, but it's also good. at finding out how the hell everyone else is financing their films over there, and then um, forging collaborations. So workshops is the other one, and I mention it very specifically here because I never hear of any other Canadians doing these. I've seen very few. There's one other Canadian that took the Binger Binger Film Lab. Um, there's another one called for documentary filmmakers. There's another one called Doc Incubator. D O K. No, yeah, D O K Incubator. That's based in the Eastern uh, European countries. They have a three-part workshop. The first one is in Czech Republic. The next one's in Slovakia. And then the next one is in, actually, it's in Sweden now. So it's also fun because you can travel around and you stay in crazy locations. And it's basically, it's an incubator. Like, they take your rough cut and you, you, you know, you're put in a room with a really, really accomplished editor and they help you find, they help you fix the problems and find what, what the film is and what the story is. And so for me, that's sort of been my, my master's film school, as I said, and it's also um, helped me form new collaborations.
3: And I think another thing you talked about that I think is really important is Going out there to markets and to people, and to actually stand there with your work and try and uh, get people to read it. I think that a lot of times um, you have to work really hard. You have to make connections. They're going to be giving you money, and they need to believe in your work. Yeah. And it's really important to um, to get your work out there. To to actually and get go. practice talking about
2: it as well. It's really yeah. important.
3: I, I've sat, I've, I've judged pitching con, um, competitions. Mm-hmm. I learned so much from pitching competitions or even being on yeah, juries. Really I've do. learned so much because you sit there and go, man, that is, y- y- you can see where someone knows their project, knows what's important and knows how to sell it. And if you can do that, then that takes, shaves off so much um, conversation. You just get to the point. Yeah. You realize how to to crystallize, what your film is about, and it takes
2: practice, I mean when I think of the early pitches, I mean we're a little bit luckier in documentary because we can show trailers, Mm -hmm. so if you've got a a good camera and and a decent sound package you can go out and start to shoot stuff, shape it into a trailer, and that can help you, but yeah yeah, I've learned a lot about that. But the other Mm -hmm. thing I've noticed about attending markets and, and meeting with broadcasters, because the way. Films are marketed, in, or the, the way you finance films in the documentary world is you try to get broadcasters on board and those tri- those broadcasters or commissioning editors trigger other funds. And very often if you've got good commissioning editors on your films, then, then it means that other ones are paying more attention to the project. Um, but what happened is the first film that I had, The Bastard, I got the Danish Film Institute financing for that, but it was a little bit trickier. I mean, and the Canadian uh, broadcasters wouldn't consider it. But then when you think you come back again with another project a couple years later and then you come back again, you really, you can see it in their eyes, they're taking you a lot more seriously because you're not going away and you're going to keep making films. And that's another thing with the persistence where you just, they go, hi, you know, they know you now. (laughs) And they saw that you made that film that that wasn't for them. And they saw that, you know, how it did or how it got critically reviewed. It might not have been a Festival Darling or whatever, but now you're back with another project. And they watch your work and they watch how you're evolving. you may never be good for whatever their slot is but they start but you don't know what they're going to tell other commissioning editors yeah. and how what they would you know it's so that networking thing is so incredibly important because you learn from them as well you yeah. can get to a point where you're familiar enough with them and you've had enough hopefully great conversations with them at pitch festivals meat market in sheffield for instance is one i go to where you can ask them really you know you can ask them questions like what how did I blow it or like what or, you know what do you, you know you can ask them a lot you can learn from them because these are very very smart people who know a lot about you know what they're doing and they know a lot about um, they've seen tons and tons and tons of films so very often you might be pitching a film to them that they've seen before a million times and uh, you learn a little bit more about how you're going to shape your work and how you're going to shape your ideas in the future as well by like, listening to them speak so I've learned a lot by attending idfa and hot dogs forums and just sitting in the audience as an observer and watching, you know, the filmmakers go up and pitch their films for seven minutes with a ding, the bell, and they play the trailer, and then, then it's a little bit like you know the Christians and the Romans, and like you can hear, them, you know, one big broadcaster says, you know, that film's been made a million times before, and then you watch what the other broadcasters say, and then it's what's really refreshing and the most important lesson is that some broadcasters will say, "I love it," this would really work for me, and the other ones can't stand it, and you realize you can't ever take. The first... You can never... Well, you yeah. can You just have to keep making your film and make it exactly the way you want it because you'd be surprised at how many financers love a film and then other ones who are very respected financers don't like it and yeah. then you'll get some other financer. Like, for instance, everyone turned me down in the beginning for The Bastard except for the Danish Film Institute, which is a very hard finding institution to do a collaboration with um, for Danish filmmakers. So it, that was... For me, it was like, okay, I've got like a little... A little bit of esteem to go on now Mm -hmm. and you know still getting the door slammed in my face all over the place but it's what every filmmaker goes through and it's important to go through that because you really start to learn how much of that you take in and shapes the way you make films and how much of it you just need to resist and stick to your own guns and that's always a conversation I'm having with myself in terms of you know what's marketable what's financeable but what I still should keep making regardless of that because I feel like I'm trying to do something I haven't seen before.
4: Cool. I think I want to open it up to see if we have one like one last question and then we've got to get them well we've got to get Christy our screening okay go ahead the question is about pitching can you give us an example and about like how many pitches you've done
2: I've pitched um, well I'll tell you the films I've pitched I've pitched the bastard sings the sweetest song which you can see on Netflix just just search word bastard because there's only that and some another film about uh, baseball so you um you can see that one and then cheer up and then um uh yeah those two films well cheer up you can see in a few little while but those two films i've had a lot of experience pitching and what Walla wants which is a film i'm making in the west bank right now about the daughter of a convicted uh an ex-prisoner uh former prisoner her mother um uh, uh, was uh, built a bomb and conspired to bring it into a settlement. So that's a more difficult film about a teenager. But anyways, I've pitched all three of them, and they're very, very different films. And I've pitched uh, not so. I haven't been in the big forum pitches like IDFA or whatever, because the kind of films that I make are kind of better to have at intimate pitching festivals. So Meat Market in Sheffield is one of those one-on-one sort of speed dating kind of pitches. They arrange the meetings ahead of time, but. Um, but you still have the intimacy of just being able to talk. Um, and, uh, but at every single market, there's always meetings now. You have to, because I'm always trying to either sell the one that I've finished or um, get further financing for the one I'm in the middle of or and also get seed financing for the one I'm making. And it's always who, what, where, and how. It's. Who is, who is it about? It depends. It depends on the financer. In the documentary world, there are some documentary commissioning editors where it's more about what than it is about who. And that means like I make films that are completely character-driven. Uh, and they're documentaries that don't use interviews, or they don't use voiceovers. So they're very cinema verite, following the characters and watching them as their lives unfold. So those are character-based films that are only um, suitable for some broadcasters. Other ones, they're like films about subjects in the world, like unique current, uh, current issues and all the important things that we all need to see films about. So that's sort of the two, sort of depending on who you're pitching to is a, is a good way to think about it. But for me, I always um, I kind of narrow it down to, I mean, you want to come out of a pitch with them really wanting to see how your film ends, really wanting to see your film. So it should be a compelling character who has, uh, you should really start with, who is it about, and why is it important? Why do people need to see it? Why why are people going to relate to it? Why how can they see their own story in it? Um, because at first I was very cynical because I was such an tour and you know, but I'm making this and it's going to be such a you know an artistic piece of genius. But really, you make films because they I I make films because I want to connect with people. And because I want to make films about, you know, that make people feel less alone in a way, so that when they see a, when they see a character's story, they, they feel their own story being reflected in that. So that's how I pitch, usually. And I, mean, I keep it very, very honest. Um, I, my, but I'm not the expert in pitching because I talk too much. Like, I don't <laughs> shut up, ever. <laughs> I've had some people go, like, okay, I get it, done, got it. So I've, my, my journey as a pitcher has always been trying to, uh, you know, Shut up! When you know you've already you've already said exactly what you need to say. Um, I pitch with trailers. Obviously, everybody pitches with trailers, um, and uh, I think it's just about uh, trying to reach the person and making them understand why it's you know why they would connect with it as a uh, why you think about what interested you and why you care about it. And if you do that, it's one of those things where you think it's an idiosyncratic thing about your life, but the more you talk about it, the more everyone connects with it. Um, But the other thing is, why are you making this film? You know, why is is it important for you to make this film? Especially if it's a subject that other people are making films about. Um, Very often your own personal reasons are the thing that convinces them and it's compelling. And you just have to be very honest with it sometimes. Like, The Bastard Sings the Sweetest Song is a film about, it's shot in Guyana, in Georgetown, Guyana. And it's about a man uh, named Muscle. His name's Paul Smith like the designer, but he he lives in, they live in a very poor area of Georgetown. He goes by the name Muscle because he's a bit of a gangster. And the story, the film starts um, at a point where we meet his 74-year-old mother, who's a poet, Um, but she's also a very serious drinker. And she goes out into the road, and she begs for money, and then she gets high wine, which is like this toddy, and she um, falls down and hurts her head and ends up in the hospital. So my film starts right around the time he says, Mommy, you can't go out on the road, you can't drink, and if you go out on the road again, I'm gonna lock you up. And the film is about how Muscle locks his mother Mary up in the back of the house. And it it's sort of like an act of love in this very violent city where they live. So when I pitched that film, especially to the Danish Film Institute to further funders, I just talked very frankly about the fact that um, I come from a long line of cheerful Irish Catholic alcoholics. Alcohol is a huge part of my family history. And I think it's a sort of hidden thing that happens in um, every family either has like an extended member or somebody in the family that is an alcoholic. and Muscle was sort of embarrassed about his mother but he also really loved, loved, loved her it's a love story in a way but it's a brutal kind of act of love because he's locking her up and she's trying to get out and the whole film is sort of about her trying to get out of the room so I, I felt like I would, you can tell when you're connecting with someone when you just tell them something deep and personal and it makes me very vulnerable obviously because I'm exposing but that sort of For me, my reason for making films, so I I guess that's the other thing, you know, we're not always making films about, like, things that we connect with our deep, deep family, but I honestly think, like, just, the I personally, I'm a big confessor, so I'll just say this is why I'm making the film, because it wasn't a film about the uh, perils of alcoholism, actually, it was a film about how in this case, these people were trying to survive horrific circumstances in their past, in the violence of their past, and how for Mary, alcohol was just a little bit of freedom that she was experiencing. And so I was exploring things that were very personal to me through these documentary subjects. So that helped. I think that's what worked with the, the DFI. And it helped with all the rest of the financing. Not that much but that I got. And I've kind of employed that strategy ever since. Cheer up is another one. You know, what is it about these characters? Why are we telling these stories? And I just really speak very personally about why it's meaningful to me and why I feel like other people would connect with it. So hopefully
4: that helps. I think that's I think that's a great answer. I think a lot of people think they have to have a lot of flash and a lot yeah. of this and that and the other, but really, it's like what Market what what is compelling about it to you? Um, I'm going to ask one quick question because we're running just a touch over time and we've got to get you to your movie. Um, Story Hive is taking women only. Some of our national organizations have decided to try and do gender equity or have set goals to reach that. What do you think in like one or two sentences? Should female filmmakers do now to take advantage of this kind of what I see as maybe a turning point?
2: Make films if, that you want to see that you haven't seen before and you stick, because like the NFB has now said 50% Canadian film or female female filmmakers. So, a follow, and it's like, sorry, it sounds like it's something that should be printed on the side of a mug, but really follow exactly um, whatever is nagging you that you want to make a film and don't worry too much about what's financeable or what try not to work externally like and looking around it it, sometimes that helps to inspire you but i think the point of this gender parity thing is to try and get new stories out there and to get new perspectives and there's a terrible habit of trying to make films that are pitch films that you've seen before because you think they'll be easier to finance or easier to make and Certainly, it's great to be inspired by those things, but I think that what we need is more crazier films coming from weird directions and people's personal histories that inspire them to make interesting films. And that's when cinema is going to start to get interesting um, and uh, more interesting. You know, Mm -hmm. that's, I think, what we need. So I would just say that. Follow your voice.
3: And I think one way, the only way to change that is for women to make films. Just to to make a film however you can, with or without you know, just, just make them. Because if women aren't making film, it's not changing.
2: Buy a good mic, buy some good lavender microphones and a shotgun mic and shoot it on your iPhone. If you even, because if the first thing you're going to make, unless you're extraordinarily talented, is always going to be <laughs> shit <laughs> or, or whatever. Hopefully you're, you'll have some, you'll have some elements that are wonderful or maybe you're lucky and you make great films. My Journey has been, like, a lot of, like, I've, I've learned from making bad films as much as I've learned from the things I've done well. But you can, all you need is to record is good sound. If you want to make documentary, you can shoot it on your phone or you can shoot it on, so you can get a DSLR. So I think um, Sandy's right. It's just start shooting right away. Um, and don't wait for anybody permission don't, to give you permission or, or anything like that because it'll, take, it'll be a long time before somebody just decides to, you know,
3: And I I think the thing, too, sometimes people come up to me and say, well, I don't have any background. I can't apply for grants. That's actually just not true. You can still do that, and there's different requirements from different granting agencies, but you can um, access it. And you can also access workshops at Calgary Society of Independent Filmmakers, at M-Media, Draw. So there's a lot of places here that you can go and take workshops, and um, if you really have no you have no idea of how to do it, then just go to these art, artists run centers because they're they're really fabulous for, for stuff like that. And then through there you can find out all the amazing places you can go and get money with or without experience. Mm-hmm.
4: Okay, well we have to end it there because we've got screenings to get
1: to.
3: Thank you for coming out.
2: Thank you so much. Let's
4: go around first.
1: Cool. Well, thanks again uh, to the Calgary International Film Festival for working with us on that and letting us uh, record that awesome conversation. Yay. Yeah. Very nice.
0: Yeah, that was a cool series. I, uh, I hope to be able to get back there next year yeah. and listen to some more stuff.
1: Be a little less busy at the time. Yeah, hopefully.
0: <laughs> uh, and also hopefully not.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. right. Yeah.
0: Anyway, let's get back into the news you can use because uh, we've got some exciting deadlines coming up. The uh, If you're a filmmaker and you haven't made a feature film yet, mm. there is a chance to get hundred and twenty seven thousand five hundred dollars
1: that's a from, useful amount of cash. that's
0: a lot of money you can make a movie on that amount of money
1: yeah in a really uh, stressful way for sure yeah
0: for sure definitely <laughs> um and you can do this by applying to the telefilm micro budget program now the way this works is you apply to a filter partner organization such as fava in edmonton or the calgary society of independent filmmakers in calgary mm-hmm. you need to be a member of these organizations to apply right um But the good thing about this is that uh, Telefilm has extended their deadline. So, in in Calgary, the CSAF has extended their uh, application deadline from like the 17th to January 31st. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we haven't heard of FAVA extending their January 5th deadline yet. Right. But keep an eye on
1: that. You would think they would. I Um, would hope so, but maybe not. Maybe not, yeah, but it's it's tough time, of course, and I'm sure that's why Telefilm extended the deadline because the holidays, uh, everything's kind of um, in flux or uh, closed up for for the break. So um, I would I would expect that, uh, and in case you don't know how this works, Telefilm has a deadline for the partner organizations to submit a recommended project. So. That means that the telephone deadline is not your deadline. It's uh, it's the deadline those partner organizations have to submit. So they right. have to have an even earlier deadline. So, right, because uh, they need
0: time to go through all the projects and pick exactly. their recommendation.
1: Exactly. So, um, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll hear some news from Favo. We'll tweet it out for sure mm-hmm. if, uh, if it changes.
0: If you're interested in applying um, and you you haven't really heard of this fund, my guess is it's too late to get started, <laughs> it could be well. I mean, I don't know. You've got a
1: month. You kind of had a month before with, yeah. with the holidays.
0: Yeah. About. Okay. Fair enough. But if you don't have, like, if you're kind of thinking, hi, huh, I might, I might send, submit this project to that right. project. Right. Oh, you
1: we, need a draft of a script. You need a draft please, of a script without a sure. doubt. Yeah.
0: Um. Although you don't actually technically need one. Oh, you might for the for fab and for CSA. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um.
0: So yeah. Anyway, if you're if you're really gung ho on uh, on hauling ass and getting an application in, we've got some podcasts specifically about this program. Um. Check them out, and uh, and of course check out Telefilm's website.
1: Moving along. So the Rosie Awards are happening again uh, this year. I get to say this year now, 2017. Submissions are uh, open, and uh, your deadline to submit is January 13th. Um, There are uh, 58 categories to submit your project in, uh, so check out ampia.org for more information on that. Uh, The Calgary Underground
0: Film Festival is now accepting submissions for the festival, which is taking place April 17th to 23rd of this year. Submissions are now open, and the deadline is Monday, February 6th um they love all genres and screen a variety of films from documentary to narrative however they do not accept mid-length films which is anything from 30 to 60 minutes so if you've got a short or a feature uh submit it right there are no submission charges at all for canadian productions
1: of any length that's nice that's fantastic absolutely right on um I'm sorry, I'm just checking the recording here. Uh, M Media uh, has an event coming up uh, called Particle and Wave. Uh, I think we've talked about this before, Um, but this year's event is from uh, February 2 to 4, and um, it is basically a media arts festival and a three-day event um, to celebrate critical innovation and creativity present in the media arts community. So um, immerse yourself in media art. I like Ay. that. <laughs> so uh, that's coming up right away. So um, there's going to be more details coming from M uh, this month. So keep an eye out for that. And you can, of course, check out their um, website as well from information, Mmedia.ca. If you're in
0: and around Calgary, you can check out a feature-length documentary every single month with the Doc Soup program.
1: This is cool. And yeah, I, we
0: haven't really talked about Doc Soup
1: too much. Yeah, I, I think it must have come up a, a few times, but it is a it is a Calgary International Film Festival project initiative yeah that happens year-round um, right. in partnership with hot Docs. that's
0: right and so they're in their ninth year and they run from november uh to april so they're going now uh, and they screen on the first wednesday of each month they bring six of the year's most talked about docs to local audiences today this wednesday mm-hmm. january 4th at if, 7
1: p.m if matt can get the podcast
0: out <laughs> at the globe <laughs> alex gibney's zero days is a documentary thriller about warfare
1: In a world without rules, the world of cyber war. This sounds like a super cool documentary, (laughs) by the way. Um, And I I don't know how much you know about Alex Gibney. I I didn't know that much until uh, he did the Going Clear documentary for HBO. Oh. The Scientology documentary. He's an incredibly prolific documentary filmmaker. He did the the Enron documentary, which was huge. um, And the We Steal Secrets documentary. um, And also Taxi to the Dark Side, which I haven't seen, but has been regarded as one of the great documentaries of all time so um this is sure to um bring the thunder yeah <laughs> great like choice of words was, but, was, uh, you sold it to me Matt. it's an interesting <laughs> discussion though right because yeah. because this is you know cyber warfare is not only so so secret and and um just kept under wraps uh it's also becoming you know more timely than ever i'm sure you didn't time it to have this documentary being completed when right. russia happened to affect the uh american election through cyber warfare um but man is it a powerful hugely yeah. yeah
0: yeah i mean we all forget how important the internet is into our lives uh, especially if you're listening to this podcast over the internet machine. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, his his quick synopsis is, through accounts from high echelon players in the U.S. and Israeli secret services, journalists, analysts, and whistleblowers, Zero Days uncovers new information about the operations and U.S. cyber weapons programs and demonstrates the profound risks this brave new world of digital warfare poses to the safety of the planet.
1: It's a big topic, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So uh, over at the CSIF, there's some workshops happening. Um, of course, the the Screenwriting 101 workshop uh, taught by your friend and mine Jason Long uh, is a 10-week uh, event it starts January 9th uh, and it runs for 10 weeks um, so it's $360 for members and students and $400 for non-members and um, Not a bad price considering it's a 10-week course. Yeah, you're going to
0: get a lot out of this.
1: Instructed by really one of the most prolific screenwriters in our city. So, very, very uh, unique opportunity that you should definitely jump on. I would be shocked if it wasn't already full. Um, Give CSIF a call as soon as they're open again um, and check out csif.org for more information. If you want to
0: get on a set, the first thing you need is a set etiquette and protocol ticket. Mm. You can do that by attending a three-hour workshop, which is being hosted on the 11th of January at 5 p.m. from IATSE Local 212, which is the technical union. So um, check out IATSE212.com and find out about uh, how to sign up for that.
1: Hey, I should know this, but IATSE doing that course, it it must be a requirement to get into their union as well. Well, I'm sure it is, yeah. I always talk about you need it to get into DGC, but I'm sure you need it for IATSE as well. So I continue to learn. Hooray. Um, so you were talking about this AFA grant writing workshop. Uh, I think you've had, this has just fallen on you, uh, the last few times. So I'm excited to, to talk about it as well and remind people that, uh, the AFA is kind of doing a tour, um, to discuss, uh, how to write grants effectively for their deadlines. And of course there's a deadline coming up on February 1st. Uh, so, uh, these free workshops are kind of touring the province and, uh, there are three left, it looks like, uh, one in Red Deer on January 10th, one in Medicine Hat on January 12th, and one in Edmonton on January 18th. Um, you can find out more information, uh, I'm sure by, uh, if you're not already on the AFA mailing list, you, you certainly should, certainly should be. Certainly. But, uh, I'm sure you can go to the AFA website and, uh, find out more information as well. Um, if you'd like to, um, uh, register, um, the information is on there as well, but, um, It is free and it is coming right up. So uh, get on that list.
0: Mm -hmm. Budding and emerging cinematographers are huge fans of the red line of cameras. Mm. And uh, the Congress Society of Independent Filmmakers has a red Scarlet camera. Now, these cameras are pretty technical and they have a lot of crap that comes with them and a lot of (laughs) things you need to know. So you can't actually rent from this camera from the CSAF until you take the shooting with the Scarlet workshop um and luckily they're hosting one on saturday january 21st from 10 a.m to 5 p.m it's 120 bucks for members and 160 for non-members and by the way a membership is about 40 bucks so if you uh pick up a membership then that pays for it right there automatically the instructor is uh Aaron bernakovich i don't know if there's anyone in town who knows more about the red scarlet than him um and yeah you're gonna learn all about the scarlet and all about the accessories that go with it so sign up if you want to use that camera to make a, a damn good looking movie
1: Nice. Uh, so actors, um, the uh, wonderful Chantelle um is teaching a, a workshop called The Camera Loves You in, in association with Six Degrees Sound, who are also big, uh, total awesome people that we love. Um, And it's happening uh, from, well, what is it? It's called The Camera Loves You, um, and it's uh, an auditioning for film class. And so uh, Chantel's going to take you through the um, process of uh, auditioning, making choices about your script, um, and just... uh, overall gaining practical on-camera experience to help you really crush it in the audition room so mm. uh, these uh, this event is happening Tuesday February 9th February uh, sorry February 7th February 9th February 14th and February 16th um, so it looks to me like it's a four night Event uh, and it costs four hundred and twenty-five dollars, and it's happening at Six Degrees Sound, which is actually a really cool place to. It is a sweet place to go and check yeah. out. So it's a good place for a workshop, um, and you can find out more information on Facebook.com/slash/The Camera Loves You.
0: Up in Edmonton, Fava is having a screenwriting workshop series of um, workshops that happen from February twenty-first to May sixteenth um, on Tuesdays from six thirty p.m. to nine p.m. Got a screenplay you're itching to write. Take this opportunity to develop your short or feature film script or one hour teleplay in an intense but supportive workshop setting. Uh, you can find out more about that at fava.ca. It's $425. Check it out.
1: So uh, we've we've talked about it a few times, um, so I'll try to keep it brief. But again, if, you, if you're interested in making your, your first short film or maybe your second short film, uh, if you've already taken uh, the video kitchen class at Fava, Um a really great and and kind of cheap way of doing it uh, is to take FAVA's two uh, video production short film courses. Uh, one is called uh, Video Kitchen, and and the other is called uh, FAVA Main Course. Uh, in order to get into Main Course, you have to have completed the Video Kitchen, so it's the more advanced version. Um, but both of these workshops are running um, this year, and uh, the Video Kitchen starts in March, and the main course starts in February. Um, so. Uh, it's one hundred sorry, it's eight hundred and forty five dollars plus GST. If you if you miss the early bird deadline, you can get it even cheaper. If you catch the early bird deadline um, for the video kitchen and uh, nine hundred and forty five dollars plus GST for the main course. The, and the reason why this is awesome is because it takes you through the whole process of making a film, uh, a four to six minute film in the case of the video kitchen, and an under ten minute film uh, for main course. So really, like I remember Scott, our first short films were like cost us three thousand right. dollars and sometimes yeah. more to make yeah so and that was and that was
0: begging borrowing and stealing exactly
1: yeah yeah, yeah. and this is you kind of get uh, contained and you have people that talk to and, and mentors to to kind of like ask questions and guide you along it's a great way to make a short film and you could really make the most of it um so check it out for sure if you have uh, that interest
0: absolutely so what's shooting fargo season three so excited about this it goes to camera on january 6th uh damn they got a nice winter this year it's going to be cold and snowy. It's going to look...
1: I was just talking about Fargo. Like, yeah. Like, uh, is is filmmaking a seasonal thing? And well, yeah, usually summer is more busy, but Fargo is uh, in the right place at the right time. Um, the last... I mean, the first two seasons were shot in pretty nice winters in
0: Calgary, right? And is yeah, supposed to be this right. cold, snowy right. setting. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Two nicest winters I can ever remember. Yeah. Um, and season two doesn't look very wintry. I mean, it looks... Everyone's dressed like it's cold, but... Mm. It, So this year, you know, they're really, they're really going to get a good show. I think there's going to be a lot of goddamn snow.
1: Yeah, They'll have some, uh, some, some heavy snow for sure. Mm Um, Winona Earp is shooting. Do do you know when? I think they're, they're shooting now. They're already rolling. Yeah. See that, that's weird to me because it's because of the snow. snow, yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to take a look at the second season. Absolutely. See how that looks. Uh, and
0: there's a feature film called Knuckleball that is now entering pre-production, which is, uh, directed by Mike Peterson, uh, and a few other people that we, uh, know and love are working on it. So, uh. I think they go to camera pretty soon.
1: Cool. Um, so yeah, congrats to them. Very exciting. Uh, we're into job calls now. Um, and, uh, there's a, an opportunity for a senior motion graphics animator in Edmonton. Um, so if you check out the media job, search website, you can find this, um, this job and it's for the Oilers. Um, I think they're a hockey sports team (laughs) yeah yeah they score points they do make points Uh, that's what they do they they do it all the time they just make points that's their job yeah well
0: really there's zero points and then there's now one point they've made a point that didn't exist before right exactly
1: yeah that's amazing it's nice in this world where people don't make things anymore right yeah (laughs) people are actually making something right out of nothing so i think we talked about this uh last time this this job has been up for a little bit um but it sounds like a cool gig uh for an opportunity for an animator to uh do some cool uh graphics work and get your content up on the big screen in the um in the new rogers place
0: (gasps) (laughs) yes um okay let's get into recommendations right is that it yeah, that's wow, it for okay, the sweet. news. Um, cool. What so are you watching? Over the holiday season, I watched a miniseries called American Crime Story. The People vs. O.J. Simpson. Right. Um, and it's a 10-episode miniseries um, produced by uh, John Travolta, oh. which is interesting. I didn't know. Um, huh. God, he looks like he's had a lot of work done on his face. But <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a great part for him anyway. He also acted in it, also starring uh, David Schwimmer um and excellent performances by uh, cuba Gooding jr and sarah paulson cuba now um it's not the best it's not the best yeah I know people he are was... raving about it <laughs> um, yeah i heard really great things. yeah yeah yeah. It. and and there's a lot I, I had a lot of issues with it the blocking is is um troublesome sometimes and, and and a little bit awkward and weird um and and i couldn't the foley was terribly distracting to me hmm. uh, like in a way where i've never really been distracted by foley before and it's not perfect. Like there are a lot of I have a lot of issues with the choices that the that the people making the show made. But um, I was pretty young when the OJ trial was going on, so I don't really know too many of the details. Right. And, and this story is fucking incredible. Is it really? It is absolutely mind blowing. The stuff that that happened during Sweet. this during this trial. Um. But what was what was best about this series for me, anyways, was how. Um, women are portrayed in the media. And this is all through um Marsha Clark's uh, who is the prosecutor, played by Sarah Paulson. And she goes through this journey of of cause it was such a media frenzy that even the prosecutor was like, is she a bitch or is she a you know, is she a babe? And and fuck, it was absolutely wow. incredible. Wow. Um so just for that alone, I would recommend this, but um definitely recommend watching that show, People versus OJ Simpson. Very
1: good. Cool. I'm just Googling here to try to figure out um... I believe they're doing a second season of American Crime Story. Yeah, that's that's right. It, or is that what this is? Well, no. Oh, oh. it's oh, it's about Hurricane Katrina. I right. just found it. So that's interesting. Um, so same kind of format, but obviously different story. different story. Yeah, kind of an anthology type series, which is cool. Very cool. Uh, that'll be an interesting topic to tackle as well. Um, I have a recommendation, which is uh, kind of fun. I've been doing this thing called um, uh, Fantasy Movie League. Okay. So, you know, we were talking about points and sports. Sports. Yeah. There, there are these things called fantasy sports leagues. Yeah, I don't... Yeah. <laughs> Where people, uh, I guess, pick a team of I, your ideal sports team and, you know, the points they gather in the week, that's what your score is or something like that. Um, I'm not a sports guy, but I am a movie guy. And this is uh, the, the movie equivalent of that. So, you take uh, a look at the box office numbers of a film uh, and then you... Well, or you make you make guesses on how a film's going to do based on um, they provide re- research. I don't actually like the research. I prefer box office mojo. I like box office. Yeah. Mojo. Yeah. And, and, and they use a different site. But um, I, I've, I've done it for what, three weeks now. Um, and and well, so what do you do? You pick just movies? Yeah. So you pick like a you line of, roster yeah, of movies. Yeah. So it costs you. You have a thousand dollars to work with every week and it costs you these are fake dollars right yeah of course okay. <laughs> yeah yeah so so you have an eight plex cinema right and you can pick what goes goes in your, oh, your eight plex cool. cinema so obviously Rogue One is a good choice right now but it's expensive right it could be like $647 <gasps> whereas a, a movie like Fences or Lions smaller movies could be like 22 bucks so you can fill your, your cinema with multiple movies and if you leave a screen empty which can happen if you run out of money uh, it, it costs you two million dollars of your total box office bring bring in or whatever. So uh, it took me about a week to kind of figure out how it all works. Uh, and then I'm going to brag and say in my second week, perfect lineup. I had a perfect Whoa. lineup, which only 11 other people had – uh so who who do you compete against everybody yeah well so it's it's smart enough to know that okay you started in week three of this round so you're only competing against the people who started at the same time as you so among those people only 11 people had the had the perfect lineup and i was one of them there's like 737 people in the people that started in my time frame so um anyway it's super fun you can create your own little league maybe we should do this as the podcast and invite everybody to to uh come check it out um but you can compete against each other of course as well so i'm still waiting to find out how i did this past weekend it's uh it's a little bit nerve-wracking because i bet a lot of money on lion because i felt la la land had already kind of burnt out like it's it's big but it's like it's it's not having the big impact at once. It's right. doing the festival run. So yep. it's like, yep. so La La Land was one to consider. Uh, why him is also a bit in play. Eee. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> weird because you don't, you, right, right, right. No, you do cool. want yeah, it, yeah. But, nec- but it might do but, well but, enough. Yeah. yeah. So I actually didn't pick Rogue One last week. And even though it was the best film, it cost so much money right. to have in your Cineplex that it wasn't the film. You didn't want it. I, I think it was uh, Passengers, having Passengers in number one position and then, um, something uh something that's been out for a little while but it's still kind of expensive and then i just did a ton a ton of um uh oh, i forget what it was what was the movie anyway one of the one of the cheap movies that actually fences fences yeah fences did really well actually con- comparatively and for the for the money it cost to put in the, in the cineplex it was it was really well how many screens it. did you put fences on matt uh <laughs> not not more than two uh no you could yeah you, so yeah. Uh, i did i think i did six so, I had Passengers and Sing was the other one. The kids movie oh, Sing. Oh, my God. So, I was able to do Sing, Passengers, and then the rest was Fences. Holy shit. And that was the best lineup you could get. So, so anyway, once you learn how it works, you're like, oh, okay, I get it. I get Return on the game here. Kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's sweet, man. So, what's it called and, and how can we play? It's called FantasyMovieLeague.com. And, um, yeah, I don't know. If there's interest, maybe we'll throw a league together and get I'm people I'm interested. Playing. I want to yeah. play. Yeah. Sounds cool. Alrighty. Well, well thanks to Briar it. for doing all the news again in uh, 2017. Looking forward to more podcasts.
0: Hooray! Um, hope everyone had a great holiday, had a great New Year's. Um, now get back to work. Yeah, that's right. And by get back to work, we mean go, go make, make something. something.